Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have The Brood, starring Oliver Reed, Samantha Egger, and Art Hindle. Written and directed by David Cronenberg. Welcome back to Rye Smile Films. It's time as we ease into spooky season to return to a cask that we did a few years ago. Returning for part two, the cask of Cronenbergs, plural. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and up uh, first, we're going to tackle from 1979 uh, this Canadian horror film, uh, The Brood. Uh, this was a first time watch for you. We just uh, finished watching it uh, in in the other room and... Uh, I think this will be an interesting episode, as I like to say, just about every week. But maybe this one uh, more so, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. We hadn't we hadn't sat and like watched, you know, other than like going to the theater to see a movie, but like in the living room, watch it, and then come immediately and 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 do this in a while. So this is, cask is going to be a lot of fun for that particular reason. Three in a row, right? Yeah, exactly. So here's to it. Excellent. It's more of the Ponderosa whiskey here. Mm-hmm. Still really good. Yeah. Are you getting, I don't want to say eggnog, but like that little like nutmeggy. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Look for that, that like nutmeg, anise yep. kind of flavor, right? Certainly. Excellent. Excellent. Well, we got a ton to talk about today. Let's not beat around the bush. Let's get started with our flight question. So flight question this week, uh, I don't believe this is something we have asked before, but one of the staple horror movie tropes is uh, a cadre of creepy children. Yeah. Uh, whether they're creepy by nefarious intentions or just creepy, just, you know, just being there and being normal, right? <laughs> they're already kind of psychologically askew. Uh They've been doing this for since like the 40s, right? I mean, this this is a trope that goes back many years, and there have been a lot of legendary creepy kids in horror films. So we're going to get into the brood of it all a little bit later. But top three favorite uh, creepy kids in horror films. Three, three, two, two, one, one. Yeah. This is a weird list, man. <laughs> it was a weird list, yeah. <laughs> for you, my list, I think you're going to be like, I absolutely saw two of those, and one I think you're going to be surprised with. Okay. But for everybody else that doesn't know me quite as well, I'm going to be like, that's two rather obscure ones and one that's absolutely obvious. Yeah. Number three, Mr. Danny Glick from Salem's Lot. Mm-hmm. I watched that scene this morning again just to make sure it still resonated. It still resonates. Yeah, it's good stuff. Him outside the window yeah. with the fog machine in full effect. Mm-hmm. Floating. <laughs> Tapping. Still. still <laughs> that still gets it. It's good stuff. You knew that was going to show. I think it was just... The, that's a memorable scene from the miniseries, but even in book form, yeah. it's such a pivotal moment of it's the, mo- it's the moment in the book when everything starts to really turn on its head. And we've spent a good 300 pages introducing this town and now let's start offing them off one by one. Right. Yeah. And he's the first. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're like, Oh, something ain't quite right about that. Don't walk home through the forest by yourself or on the moors. Yeah. Great choice. Number three. Thank you. That's My yours. number three outlander. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Isaac from Children of the Corn, Uno. Uh, I don't think that's a very good movie. And I, I, I don't either. I rewatched it a, a couple months back. It's actually, you know, kind of in rocket territory, but yeah. something about Isaac and his look, demeanor, uh, uh, the Jim Jones of the Children of the Corn kids, right? Leading them astray with this religious fanaticism. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he plays pretty well in that space. Uh, in a pretty mostly terrible movie, I think we all remember him and then Malachi, right? Yeah. Uh, he's the other one that's showing up. Very two distinct looks of Nebraska corn kids. Yeah. <laughs> My number three. Malachi on to Annals of Greatness with Martin Gigi later. That's two Stephen Kings right there. Yeah. Yeah. Good choice. Mm -hmm. Number two for me, and something that might be at number one, but number one is just so monumental I can't top it. It's the kid named Karen from Night of the Living Dead. Mm. That is such a bizarre kill in horror. So just to kind of snapshot this, having been shot, dad heads downstairs into the cellar, um, dies. And then when mom heads down to the cellar, she sees Karen chowing dad on dad's arm, which is pretty standard fare for zombies. They usually have to be living, but maybe just recently passed. So it still counts. Mm-hmm. What's so terrifying about that is zombie is not really having much rational thought other than just consume. That kill seems a little loaded because it's spayed from the wall taken yeah. off to stab mom before we begin dining. Mm-hmm. Very ghoulish. That's loaded, man. Mm-hmm. What, you might just say, well, he's just going for shock value. And that could be. Mm-hmm. We're not going to do that. You and me are not going to go to that on this. Yeah. Um, is mom that hateable? Because dad's even more hateable. Is daughter pissed because mom never did anything with the idiot father slash husband? Mm-hmm. But that's not, I'm going to eat you. That's, I'm going to murder you. Yeah, it's different. Uh, I don't know a whole lot of zombies that have that sort of ill will that they perpetrate on people that they yeah. would ultimately consume. Yeah, they normally go just go chow down first, right? Not that movie. Mm-hmm. You know what trips me out about that scene, fantastic injury, by the way, uh, is the sound effect mm-hmm. when she's stabbing <laughs> it. It's like... Echoed. <laughs> Almost celebratory? Yeah. And it's the screaming. Uh, yeah, that that one always gives me the willies. I think that's a very effective scene in a pretty perfect movie, in my opinion. Agreed. Yeah, two down. All right, two, two down. My number two. Uh, I'm going King again. I'm going Little Gage from Pet Cemetery. God, I thought about him too. That's interesting. Wow. Yeah. And what's really good about you know his? I'm going with the movie version of Little Miko Hughes there. Mm-hmm. I was like three, three and a half, four in in that. In that film, and they do a really good job of setting him up, setting him up as this innocent, lovable little boy. Doesn't know, you know, a lot of right from wrong. Gets obliterated by that semi truck, mm-hmm. and then when he comes back, and he's this ghoulish, ghoulish version of his former self. It's quite frightening. It's quite monstrous, and everyone and their mother's going to always remember that Achilles tendon scene on Herman Munster, Ooh, right? Yeah. Uh, but they make him do a few little kind of like creepy kid things in there. And I'm like, that's impressive for like a three-year-old, mm-hmm. right? So yeah, he's my number two. I'm going King again. <laughs> Gage is a good choice, Jesse. I yeah. want to give you props on that. I almost did that. I thought, Ooh, he'll like this one. Cause that's very obscure and you got it. Mm-hmm. 
good choice and he is creepy his eyes particularly and then maybe almost a bit of a miss in the remake if you remember they they, they do the opposite <laughs> right it's the the daughter in yeah. that versus the the little boy which yeah. i thought when reading the book that would have been a better choice but execution in that remake is not their strong suit <laughs> no it's true yeah good one number ones linda blair mm. reagan I, I mean i know that's so on the nose it's painful that's, that's good the Exorcist. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on, right? Yeah. Um, and we did a whole episode. Mm-hmm. Let's not cover it. It's a really troubling performance by Linda Blair. She admitted as much later. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Linda Blair, who seems to be reprising the role in this new Exorcist thing that's coming out that apparently is a trilogy. Yeah. What? David Gordon Green diving into another horror trilogy, right? Let's go, I mm-hmm. guess. Yeah. She, I, from what I understand, not coming back in the first one, but in the second and the third ones. Interesting. We'll see if that ever makes it. But Yeah, you have, yeah with the, the delaying effect of Hollywood right now, right? Well, David Gordon Green, you know, delivered with Halloween, and I'm sure he pitched it as a trilogy, so mm-hmm. it's going to make money. Oh, of course, yeah. Making for, a, made them for probably relatively cheap too, right? So way out ahead of ourselves, many years down the road, but going back in the time machine that's the not only is that a great horror performance mm-hmm. that's one of the greatest childhood and i'm say sub 13 sub oh yeah of maybe all time there's a lot asked of her in that film right yeah a lot that even she didn't really understand at the time and the part that really trips me out uh is the, you know the first instance of like weirdness and yeah. she comes down and is like you're all gonna die up there piss on the rug right and that, that's troubling for me. It was just like, uh, it's just it's it's just enough to be kind of normal, but a little abnormal, right? It's just, ah, uh, she's just sick, right? And then it just <laughs> escalates tenfold as the film progresses. You know what I wonder about, too? Mm-hmm. I don't know if I sent it to you or you sent it to me or if I ever... Have you ever seen Friedkin talking about Al Pacino? Mm-hmm. Okay, so this brass balls, no excuses... I'm the king up in here handling that material with Linda Blair. How did he approach that? I mean, this is not the soft touch of Steven Spielberg. Yeah. I, <laughs> William Friedkin doesn't have that. Yeah. What was that like that really? Cause he had to milk whatever he could get out of her for the film, but, and, and do it in an, it's still a not traumatizing way. Right. Right. Uh, oh, that's a masterful directing job. Unless yeah. he just said it and, yeah. We're going like <laughs> we're going. We're there. going. We're going. Yeah, I'm not going to treat you any different than I would. I don't know. Well, we do know the thing when he yanked on the the thing and like mm-hmm. bl- Hurt her back. blew out Ellen Burstyn's back, right? Mm-hmm. So he wasn't above that. But I I I, I, I would want to say he treated Linda Blair with a little bit more grace, being that she was so young. But I don't know. It's the the results are on the screen, right? Indeed, it's a good number one. Thanks. My number one. I don't know if this was even on your radar, but I revisited this film, I think, last year, and it was extremely effective for me. I'm going uh, little Macaulay Culkin as Mm. Henry in The Good Son. I almost don't want to call that a horror film. It's more of like a thriller, right? Yeah. But, man, that little boy, it's like taking Kevin McAllister and, like, putting him in a blender, and out comes this regurgitated version of the Trapmeister McAllister with this really twisted psychopath that... Feels more real than I think any of our choices that we picked from. Mm-hmm. Someone that feels like that could actually exist. And man, he does some really twisted stuff in that film. I don't know if you, if you can go back in your memory banks and recall, but yeah. 
uh, dropping that dummy uh, over the overpass and causing like a the wreck, yeah. 20 car pile up that obviously killed people, almost killing his little sister mm-hmm. to the point where spoiler alert, everybody at the end of the film, mom's just like, I'm letting you go. Right. Yep. <laughs> it's you or Elijah Wood. And I picked this cousin of yours. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause you are that twisted. Dang it. Who's the mom in that movie? Mm-hmm. I'm going to look it up real quick, but yeah, go check out the good son. I think that's kind of an off the beaten path, uh, type of, film that doesn't really get talked about a lot but it's a decent little thriller nice choice man talk about digging something out of the depths of obscure yeah that's a good one it's wendy cruson who the hell is that she's she was the mom in uh in uh the santa claus with tim allen yeah yeah you remember her yeah i do know uh well do that to the list lots of creepy kids uh you know i toyed around with harvey stevens as little damien uh that seemed a little too easy right because he's just so rotten the whole movie yeah uh and danny lloyd from the shining uh but a lot of that's the material that he gets to play with yeah, that was the one i kicked the tires on too was mm-hmm. danny lloyd from the shining i also uh is it uh millicent simmons from uh hereditary mm-hmm all that nonsense is, you know, I don't think she's yeah. the horrific entity of the, the of the film. There's really nothing horrific about her, but she just comes across as creepy. She's being uh, groomed as the vessel for creepy, <sighs> right? Ah. Uh, and she's just the specter of evil that lurks over that entire film. We won't mm-hmm. give that one uh, uh, away, but for those that's seen it, know what we're talking about, right? Yeah, that's hereditary, everybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, great choices. Uh, Fun list. Good job. Good yeah, question. let's let's talk about these little creepy uh, beings here in this one. Uh, to our view breakdown of David Cronenberg's The Brood. What can I do for you? I want to see Nola. I want to see my wife now. You know she's still undergoing intensive therapy. I can't let you break that isolation. Well, you let her see Candace on the weekends, don't you? Yes, Frank, I do. But then that's different. Regular visits from her daughter was built into her program from the very start. Yeah, well, her program has just changed. What do you mean, Frank? You sound hostile. Well, my daughter's been beaten. Severely. And scratched and bitten. And her mother did it. Her mother, who's under your psychiatric care. That's an incredibly heavy accusation to make, Frank. Did Candace tell you that? Candace won't talk about it. She pretends the whole thing never happened. But it was Nola. Or some other crazy you have stashed away up here. Either way, no more weekends with Mummy. The kid stays with me. To take Candace away from her at this stage could send Nola over into the deep end. It's a critical time for her, Frank. Yeah, well, I happen to think that Nola's been in over her head for a long time now. You have no legal right to deny access. Any time you'd like to test the matter in open court, I'd be more than happy to oblige. All right, we'll get to that little scene here in just a second, but let's talk about the beginning. And Matt, how best would you describe how this film opens up? <laughs> um... It seems like really bad weekend theater at some very, I thought, local in-house written stage play. Um, That changed pretty quickly, though, when these lesions begin forming on this character that our doctor, Mr. Oliver Reed, 
Dr. Ragland, yep. Dr. Ragland, Hal, I think, right? Mm -hmm. Is bringing out some repressed lesion stress-induced effect that gets worse the more the client enjoys the process we come to find out later. Mm -hmm. Also, what's introduced pretty quickly in this is and almost a MacGuffin to a certain degree, Jesse, mm. the psychoplasmics. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll dive into that. Um, and it does play a little bit later with kind of a side character or supporting character, but um, painful to watch. And I, for me, never having seen the opening, I've seen bits of this before, mm -hmm. um, but never having seen the opening, it really makes you kind of question what's Raglan's intent and I think sets up for a terrific second act reversal because he seems to be the chief antagonist in this film. Yeah. I might argue he's as much the protagonist as anyone in this movie and maybe this is his film. Mm. Interesting. D debatable. Yeah. Because there's two other very, well, three other pretty prominent characters. But to the question at hand, it's off-putting and uncomfortable and... Confusing. A little comedic because the, the guy that is being just handed his ass by daddy... Yeah. Oh, God, that's... Yeah, that's... Whew, just seems so ready to play along. And I guess the, the long-term takeaway from me and that was, what is the role of dad mm. in the upbringing of the child? Mm-hmm. This movie makes some really interesting commentary about that. I'm sure we'll cover it as we continue. What did you, yeah. can you go back to the first, when did you see this first time, by the way? Uh, in the last decade? Yeah, last decade for sure. Yeah, this was a little bit later in my Cronenberg filmography checkoff list, uh, but definitely recognized it as him. Like, I think this is the film, you know, if Rabbit was a bit of an appetizer mm -hmm. two years before of like, he's dancing all around a lot of heavy th uh, mm -hmm. themes but not quite sticking the landing, but kind of sticking it at, at in some places. Yeah. To me, this is feels like the first film where he's really kind of figured it out. Yeah. And then when we get to next week's film, I think he's like fully off to the races of psychosexual weird town. Got it. Yeah. Uh, but like here, I was just like everything feels really well thought out. It borders on science fiction, but feels firmly rooted in domesticated horror. Yeah. We'll talk more about that later, but. Mm -hmm. Leave it to David Cronenberg to start the film out and just immediately just dump a bunch of information, confuse the hell out of everybody, and just make everyone go, what am I watching? <laughs> like, it really does set you up thinking like, yeah, that the sound you played mm -hmm. has to do with this father slash husband trying to rescue his wife from the clutches of, man, towing on the lines of cult member yeah yeah raglan to me feels he's like a, a weird mix of like uh david koresh and ed warren <laughs> just yeah. like snake oil salesman here's this cockadoody mm -hmm. like weird psychoplasmics thing that i'm toying around with and for a small fee we can tap into that but no one can really know really what we're doing over here at this clinic uh um, I'm a psychiatrist and I'm trying to cure you of your uh, repressed state, uh, but we're dabbling in some really odd and untapped territory. You know, I couldn't help but draw correlations to in this. When I watch a film, mm -hmm. a lot of times I'll do film to film in my mind, like this is like this or this is like this. Mm -hmm. Shockingly, 
I thought there were some really stunningly hard similarities between this and Season of the Witch. Mm. Halloween 3? Yeah. Yeah. And I was wondering, watching this, if the parties that were involved in Season of the Witch admitted to having this film as an influence in the way they constructed that. The psychoplasmics and the playing along with that and the manipulation of the young through better science. <laughs> it's all around it. Um, but anyway, yeah, we digress a little bit, but you know, season of the witch for, for what we've talked about. And we did a whole show on that mm -hmm. hint. They're coming up with some, that's that cask is coming back soon, by yeah. the way, five this time, Jesse, you're five. Yep. Yeah, that's a troubled that's a troubling film in a lot of different ways. But there are some things in there that if it wasn't called Halloween, like you've said, it would be like a fine in, like in yeah. the middle of this time period, this, that film would have been fine. Yeah, it works well. Yeah. <clears throat> Put Halloween on there and it changes it. Regardless, it's the movie's the movie. When you have the doctor and you have the manifestation of science in the development of children in the hands of males. Mm -hmm whether that's Frankenstein or what have you, we get really good moments of horror. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to get up too much on the season of the witch, but I really found myself, oh, that's like that. That's like that. Like multiple times in this film. Yeah. This is way better. Yeah. But nonetheless, I've, I've really saw a strong. Interesting corollary there. You see it? Yeah. I see it now. Uh, when I was watching it, I was just like, yeah, I was just like, it was just weird, weird, weird kid movie, like The Bad Seed or Village of the Damned or yeah. something like that. There's a whole slew of like when there's a cadre of this, this, this brood, you know, attacking a town or just overwhelming a population. But Season of the Witches is kind of the same thing. And just that, you know, they're using these masks to kind of mm -hmm. take things over, right? Uh, I'm really tripped out in this opening scene when they're just calling this guy daddy. It's Oof. just there's something really icky about it. And it, there's a lot of daddy calling in this movie, right? Mm -hmm, yeah. This guy's Oliver Reed, a uh, very prominent actor. I remember him from, you know, Hammer Whore. He was the one of the original werewolves in Curse of the Werewolf and, you know, all the way up to Gladiator, right? Mm -hmm. uh, just really tripped out on, like, how they put this guy on a pedestal and he's the, the cure-all for all their psychotropic issues yikes, <laughs> yikes just, yeah right. buckle up everyone this one's gonna get weird real fast mm -hmm. but yeah we settle into this kind of you know domestic you know squabble between uh our lead guy frank art hindle we've seen him in a movie before matt he was a uh, good old canadian boy he was in black christmas as the fur coat wearing uh boyfriend that's looking for his missing girlfriend in, oh, yeah. in that film but yeah he's you know I need to protect my daughter. She has all these signs of abuse on her. I know my wife is probably responsible because she's all batty and out of her head. And yeah, we'll take this to court. And so he gets in a whole rigmarole of, I got to prove this. So I'll take pictures and I got to prove that this guy's freaking Ed Warren. He's a fraud, mm -hmm. right? Uh, the more I think about that guy, I'm just like, gosh, what a crock of nonsense, right? Yes. It's just a good actor. Just, you know, yep. preying on people's, you know, uh, vulnerability. Yeah. Right there, but go listen to the Conjuring episodes, ladies and gentlemen. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, then we start uh, unraveling the weird uh, past between, you know, Samantha Egger, Nola, the mom, to Candy, 
uh, all about her kind of horrific upbringing because we're introduced to her mother relatively shortly here. <laughs> Hard drinking woman. Oh my god, uh, she has to go get uh, a J and B that was you know poured more than we typically pour. She downs the hatch, uh, go goes and pours some more, and then they go look at a bunch of family photographs. And then Candy really trips me out when she's like, this is my favorite photo of my mom. It's just one of her in a hospital bed. Mm -hmm. We're going to find out through storytelling later that that she was pushed down the stairs and ended up in the hospital because of that. Mm -hmm. Tell me the story behind it. And Nola had a pretty horrendous upbringing. And so let me ask you this, because this really isn't dived in too much uh, in the film. I think this is left up for interpretation. Nola's mom, do you think she was so put out by her daughter because of how different she was because of these weird growths and lesions on her body? Like, oh, wow, I don't have a normal child, so I'll take it out on her? Yeah. Add to that the problem that she has with her Mm ex-husband, and I took from that the root of their problem, which also is lots and lots of the consumption of alcohol, Mm -hmm. is... This this daughter that is malignant, if you will, and I think him blaming her, her feeling bad, her being the mother, Juliana, her feeling bad about it, and then the regret over losing what was supposed to be the thing that brought them together, this beautiful child that they birthed into the world and mm-hmm. are going to raise together. Yeah. Sort of horrific, but... Only horrific if you really allow it to be. I'm I'm not sure you're showcasing these lesions because, I mean, unless it's a lot of skin that's exposed, we don't exactly know where that's going to be until we kind of get the reveal later where it is, which is her abdomen. Yeah. I I don't know, Jesse. I mean, is it an overreaction from mom and dad on how bad they are? And it's just show you how poorly equipped mother is to take care of what's not perfect. Yeah. I think it's the bad reaction. I think it's a twisted reaction to, you know, a deformity, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the natural thing would be to seek out scientific and doctoral help of like, let's figure out what this is. Oh, I can't give you an answer. And then her response is to beat it out of her. Yeah. And that's pretty twisted. That's horrific. That's the true horror of the film is this underlying layer of abuse taking place across the board, right? And then we'll find out later that dad is just as drunk as the mom yeah. and just sitting at the table letting it happen. Yep. And when she's kind of unraveling to Dr. Raglan later of like, well, dad, why didn't you step in? Why didn't you speak up and say how wrong it was that she was laying her hands on me? Mm-hmm. So he's just as much culpable as the mom is too, right? Uh, yeah, real twisted family dynamic. I don't, I'm not going over to Thanksgivings at that house, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> the NOLA characters the entire film Mm -hmm. seen perched on something. Yeah. So we get her in Dr. Mm -hmm. Raglan's facility institution, Mm -hmm. and she never leaves that perch. And then when we see the image of her in the picture, she's also perched nesting. Mm -hmm. And we'll get to that later. Absolutely nesting. Yeah. But I think that's a really nice sort of subtle way for Cronenberg to make that as uneasy as possible for everybody without throwing it in your face. That's coming a little bit later. Yeah. Mom and dad are a mess, Jesse. Mm-hmm. Even when Candy, the healthy daughter, that mm-hmm. somehow mom has birthed a healthy child into the world, praise yeah. God. She's not even capable of taking care of that one either. Yeah. Candy's relatively low maintenance from the little bit of time that we see here in the film. Mm-hmm. And grandma's got to shine it on through the afternoon with 
half a bottle of J&B. J&B. Oh, my God. Four till bedtime. Maybe man, 10 I'm, till bedtime. I'm throwing up, man. God. I mean, it was, it was a lot of heavy drinking so so early, but... The third time when she goes into the kitchen and she says, let me refresh our drinks. Hers is really fresh. Yeah, I'll, I'm going to finish it by the time I get to the kitchen. We're kind of kidding around. Like, that's not a double. That's like a quadruple. Yeah, I know. Man, that's rough. But Cronenberg, Cronenberg does a really good job here of intercutting, you know, these psychoplasmic sessions with Raglan and Nola. Uh trying to get her to come to terms with all these past traumas. And essentially what it does is spin her out. It does the exact opposite. What we're going to find out is that rage is the fuel that drives the brood, right? So once she starts talking about mom and we learn about, oh, she tossed me down the stairs, it gets her all riled up. And then sure enough, here comes brood number one to Juliana, her mom's house. And they dispatch her with a meat tenderizer. Now, I do have to say these brood attacks, I don't think, you know... They come across as almost fairly comedic because it's, you know, a little child, you know, it's like an Ewok attacking someone, right? Mm -hmm. It's fairly comical. They're in these, like, heavy coats, right? These Mm -hmm. very colorful coats. So you almost want to laugh at just how ridiculous and preposterous it is. But the thing that isn't funny about it is the aftermath of all three of these murders because it's very gruesome. And to Cronenberg's credit, he sets the stage for something very unpleasant, Mm -hmm. Uh, the aftermath of these brood murders. Mm-hmm. And yeah, poor Candy has to just walk in and just, oh gosh, I guess grandma's dead now. Fairly unnerved by it though. Sees it. Mm-hmm. You can see that she recognizes it and there's a stillness, a stoic stillness that goes over. There's no screaming. There's no crying. There's no grandma. Mm-hmm. And then we come to find out later that she just goes upstairs and takes a nap. Yeah, that's pretty troubling. You know, you brought it up. Let's talk about it for a minute. Okay. The psychoplasmics piece. Yeah. Yeah, let me uh, let me set it up. So Ragland, I, I had it here. Ragland uh, runs uh, the Soma Free Institute of Psychoplasmics. So the whole thing is he encourages his patients with mental disturbances to let go of their suppressed emotions and past uh, through physiological changes to their bodies by a technique he calls psychoplasmics. It's perfect that you said MacGuffin because it is this underlying thing that is maybe underdefined throughout the film, but it does take the form in these weird physical manifestations on people's bodies. Yeah. This guy at this other clinic has like a vagina growing out of his neck. And mm-hmm. then he says he's got one on his ass too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So yeah, yeah. that's gruesome. Uh-huh. Let's talk about the philosophy of horror for just a minute. Okay. okay the word that we associate that is uncanny. Mm-hmm. The return of the repressed. And when you bring it back out, mm-hmm. And now you're faced to deal with it. It challenges you, and that's where we get horror from. Okay, we've done this a million times, mm-hmm. but in summation, that's why some horror works for some people, and some horror doesn't work on the same other people. Yeah. Or the same other people. Some some versions of horror work better on you. Some versions of horror work better on me. Yeah. And that has to do with whatever issues I've got tucked down. Okay, so what psychoplasmics are mm-hmm. is the movie playing with the uncanny. If Dr. Raglan's technique is to take the repressed, bring it out, have a physical manifestation by a deformity on your body, and then I'm assuming either let that heal or remove it, then what he's creating is a metaphor for horror by giving us Mm -hmm. psychoplasmic horror. Yeah. Cronenberg, in his own strange, government-funded, in a Canadian way, is so beyond 
what I think most intellectual horror was at that time, it's really difficult to fathom it upon first watch. He yeah. is, we talk about certain horror directors, mm-hmm. you know, obviously Carpenter comes up. Mm-hmm. Um, Craven. Yeah. You know, like the, the mm-hmm. writers King and Cronenberg because he's classified, I think as the body horror guy, I think sometimes is misplaced, but or forgotten. Mm-hmm. The way he uses the body as broken to horrify you because you would not want your body to do that, I think sometimes takes away from the message that he's giving. Mm-hmm. Think about Oliver Reed, Jesse. Yeah. When everyone's calling you daddy like that, you can't help but lean into the abuse feeling. It's 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 all around it. Mm-hmm. And if it's not there, then what kind of weird homoerotic thing is going on with the the first client who really enjoys getting off by it. And then essentially after he, if I'm playing in that space, not to freak anybody out. Yeah. Climaxes post coitally has his face rubbed and the debris is clear. Like this is loaded, Mm -hmm, man. mm -hmm. And Oliver Reed is completely comfortable in this space. Oh yeah. It's, this is why he he does it, right? This is like, I'm curing this man. It's S and M man. Yeah. So the psychoplasmic is, a metaphor for actual, like the philosophy of horror. Mm-hmm. These poor people that have these issues that they've buried deep down so they can function throughout the day are going to this clinic yeah. so that he can therapize it, <laughs> therapeutic, ther- whatever the hell you want to call that, mm-hmm. psychologically remove it from their uh, superego, id, yeah. Yeah. and in the process of doing it, your body betrays it. And as we as the one guy said, starts a revolution that you're poorly equipped to handle. Yeah. Also, what's interesting is the title yeah. of the clinic, Soma, mm-hmm. the painkiller. Mm-hmm. I believe if I'm not mistaken, that is a Canadian created drug yeah. too, Jesse. Yeah, pain-free, Soma-free. Yeah. Loaded. Yeah, I think, and it's two Cronenberg films now, Rabid, and then this one where the, in Rabid, you had the Calloid Clinic of body uh, plastic surgery, where it's like, you're unhappy with your body, we're going to give you new versions of yourself. We'll give you uh, a dick uh, under your armpit, right? Weird, yeah. Uh, like, uh, and then here, yeah, it's all about, yeah, you know, using weird forms of science and philosophy uh, to psychoanalyze the repression out of somebody. Whoo, man, yeah, just Cronenberg's, he's a smart guy. He is. Uh, and I like that he, uh, you know, puts that at, at the forefront here. Like science and medicine really kind of take paramount and then lets the horror just kind of envelop underneath all that. Mm-hmm. It's very effective uh, that way. Uh, and then so, okay, so Candy sees, you know, grandma all bludgeoned to death down there. They, they take her to the to the cops they question her and something that i you know they, they kind of do away with once we kind of see the brood but there is a like a veil of suspicion of like well she was so normal the way she reacted to this maybe she did it right mm-hmm. uh is this kind of like underlying thing of oh is my daughter potentially a killer i mean we do have this really effed up domestic situation right now is something other happening there right now too mm-hmm. I do got to tell you, uh, one of the most horrifying things of this whole film here, I just want to talk about it. Maybe we can talk about the Canadianness of it all. Man, all this uh, 
1970s and early 80s Canadian, and probably in America too, man, we loved carpeting and wallpapering Ugh. everything. Holy crap. Everywhere, right. The mom's house has a different style wallpaper in every, every room, yeah. and they're all horrid. Horrid. <laughs> like, and you have orange carpets, and then at the the clinic where that, you know, vagina neck guys are uh, rehabbing, there's blue carpet, brown carpet, green carpet, and it's, oh, mm-hmm. it's it's hideous. Yes, it's hideous. All, This is a perfect, like, 1979 time capsule because everyone's fashion is pretty on point here. <laughs> yeah, they did a really good job with that. Um, yeah, you're right. Good for Cronenberg to represent. And we had some nice laughs. Let's do it here. Yeah. The fact that Canada <laughs> yeah. puts up money to for these filmmakers to complete their projects. A, I love that. I love that the government will support the film industry mm-hmm. uh, with their money. But on the flip side of that, they're also funding a film like The Brood and probably have no idea what their money's going to until they see it. Right. There's just something oddly comical about that. Such a weird version of the studio system, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Studio system in Canada is the government mm-hmm. with far less control than the studio system in Hollywood proper that we talk about that can be so stifling. Government's like, yeah, you need some money to make this project. Yeah, see you in 12 weeks when it's finished. What did the... I, to sit in the room yeah. with the government officials that saw it, it was one of two things. It was either complete, <laughs> complete negligence or there were a couple people in the Canadian government that appreciated really good cinema. Sure. It's one of the two things. Yeah, maybe. So I don't think just normal, you know, um, parliamentary member from District 28 in Alberta yeah. is probably just normal townie guy or gal. Let's go check. I, uh, but maybe I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. But I, I <laughs> did they have, after each one of these films was completed, like a government-sponsored film festival? Like a screening, yeah. Oh my gosh, Jesse. I want to be there for that. Oh my God. Yeah. For the finale of this film, when we'll get to it, takes place. Prime Minister looking around like, what the fuck did you guys green light here? Yeah. What, we, how much do we pay? What? Our funds are going to this? That guy has a <laughs> vagina on his neck. Oh, and what is this woman birthing? What? Yeah. We paid for this? It's hilarious. I just, I, it just, it, it blows my mind. And I don't know. Maybe I wish our government was financing some of our films. Yeah, yeah, exactly. well, I mean, if we're going to go in, if we're like already in like super mega ultra debt in our country, yeah, like, why not you it? know, like, why don't you just fund all of Warner Brothers projects and help them go into debt faster? Exactly. <laughs> you know, we talk about, so this is a foreign film. Yeah. And I think you particularly have a very special place in your heart for Italian horror. Mm-hmm with Bava and Argento specifically. Yeah. And I got to tell you, to, and, and I get it. I think there's a piece of Canadian horror that mm-hmm. might give the Italians a run for their money. Yeah. When you look we at... Just add Black Christmas into it alone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Another masterpiece. Yeah. When you have all, like, all the Canadian slashers, because you have that one, Prom, Prom Night. Night. Prom Night's Canadian horror, yep. My Bloody Valentine. Isn't Terror Train Canadian yes, also? Yes, it is. Yep. Uh, and then, yeah, you have all this Cronenberg stuff. And then now what son Cronenberg Brandon's doing also Canadian, uh, made films. Pretty awesome. It's, it's a pretty decent, uh, slate of films. Secretly the, the, the Swedes and the Canadians, Swedes, especially Mm -hmm. in the thriller space. Yeah. And the Canadians, and of all of the the milk toast, maple syrup, lumber, hockey playing horror in Canada. Yeah. 
somehow works. I just I, I it love does. I love that it just seems so stark. And you you made a comment when we were watching. It was like this film just looks so brown. It's it's all the brown mm-hmm. wood and paneling and dress attire stark but then they filmed you know in winter i mean it looks so frigid and cold i don't want to even set foot on this set right no it way. looks miserable and i think that plays into it too it's just this desolate just like ugh, like it's just this doesn't look like a pleasant place to be in right now it's even stranger about the color palette mm-hmm. is the brood are not colorless they're mm-hmm. in those parka those colorful parkas yeah, yellow reds and blues yeah with not much defining traits in their faces Mm -hmm. they've created what looks like almost robots yeah because you're either blue or green or maybe red Mm -hmm. a limited color but pastel almost yeah in this color palette that's a a version of earth tones with a heavy heavy brown influence Mm -hmm. they really do stick out it's you know what i mean this made me think of that scene in unbreakable in the train station Mm, yeah with the colors pretty good Who's that? It's Daddy. Oh, Frank hates me, Daddy. Mm. He despises me. He thinks that I'm trying to harm a little girl, and I know that he's thinking of a way to take her away. And that's very unfair of him. That's very arrogant of him. You mustn't be too hard on him, Nellie, sweetheart. He's just trying to be a good, protective father. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. He's just doing what a good father should do. He's protecting his little girl. Now, there's, there's nothing wrong with that, is there? He doesn't want to see her hurt. He doesn't want to see her hurt by anybody, not even her own mother. Now, is there anything wrong with that? Is there? So Nola's interesting, right? I mean, she's like almost towing both lines of like being like so brainwashed by this psychoplasmic process, but also like, yeah, I still have a shred of that former self of that's, you know, waiting to like reemerge. And it's almost like he's like tampering it down because he wants her. We're going to find out later, possibly <laughs> the queen bee. Uh, one thing I really appreciated about Cronenberg while watching this too, is he does a good job of establishing these like locations and uh, the names of places because like uh, when that opening ser- uh, seminar ends, we have this bus that says Soma Free Institute, like bus shuttle or something. So just kind of establishing what the hell is this thing even called? And then later in just a throwaway scene, we learn that the dad, Frank, uh, has like this contracting business and there's just a simple sign that says Carhartt like contracting or something. And I think this, those are like throwaway moments that just kind of, establish the characters a little bit more without taking up more runtime of setting those things up. Right. Yeah. They're just, it's just a sign right there. And so I, I I appreciate, you know, just something as simple as that to let us know, Oh, this person has a job and this is, it's essentially kind of like a homemaker. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, In a way, uh, domestication of, you know, all this family can't move in because we're moving slow as ass here. Yeah. So all these ideas about the family home and just how different and weird and strange it is, it's incomplete in that, in that scene. It's very bare and bare bones. 
when Oliver Reed is speaking to Nola and when he's speaking to his client at the beginning of the film, he has this very off-putting way of invading your space, but not quite going all of the way to take the person physically in that space, mm-hmm. with the exception of the kiss, and you heard it in the sound there. And what it did for me is it really disarmed where the last third of the film goes with him. Yeah. Because I'm just thinking to myself, Frank, Dr. Hal mm-hmm. is wrecking your life. Yeah. Take your little sorry butt back to the Institute and go rescue your wife mm-hmm. because pretty soon he's going to, he's going to bed her mm-hmm. and she's not, and it's, it's all around, especially when now in that sound, she brings up an issue of trust with her husband you can almost feel like he's playing into that to foster a negative relationship between the two or entice her back into a better version of the relationship with her dad, which clearly was fractured, which again is playing in the repressed Mm -hmm. and then taking that horror and manipulating it or taking that repression, that uncanny and manipulating it to his own best interest. And he looks like the worst villain. And in fact, everybody, he's not, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I don't think he's great. And we might argue. Yeah. There's that, like a bit of a raglan redemption arc at the end of this movie. Kind of, kind of sort of right. Maybe his psychoplasmics are what bring about the brood from her. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what brings it out. Yeah. Uh, which would kind of fit in line of, well, that's certainly what I think. Yeah. Yeah. So he's not without his, his own ledger of guilt and responsibility in this, this film and these terrible children. But I just, yeah, I, I've talked about three times now, like what mm-hmm. you said is right. There really is a redemptive piece for Oliver Reed in this that caught me off guard and made his character for me, the best character in this film mm-hmm. and most interesting. Yeah. And he should be, cause I think he's the most talented actor in, sure, the, yeah. in the lot too. Absolutely. Samantha Eggers is fine, mm-hmm. but um, is that Nicole Eggers mom, by the way, I from don't, Charles in charge? I don't know. Possibly. Uh, I just knew she was around her 70s, 80s, kind of like cult film actress, like was in a lot of these films. But then they do another really interesting thing here. So, okay, we got to have a funeral for this dead mother now. So the uh, ex-husband, Candy's grandfather, this guy's father-in-law shows up and he's like, well, I want to go get my daughter from this clinic. We'll have a funeral, I guess. I'm also about as hard drinking as my wife was. And, oh, well, I'm going to go to her old house because she never changed the locks, which there's something weird about that too, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and there he is just drinking in this space. But while that's happening, talk about, you know, the domestic nuclear family just all messed up and all over the place. Meltdown. Candy's school teacher, Ruth Mayer, kind of like comes into the fold here, I think in a like a suitor type of way of like, hey, like. Yeah, she's rolling on dead. Yeah. And I mean, he's a pretty good looking guy and, you know, she's very quite beautiful as well. Yeah. Let's see if this can work in a fairly semi-romantic uh, space here. But once she gets this, she's like, oh, hell no. Yeah. Hello. Hello. Who's this? Ruth Mayer. Did you want to speak with Frank Carvath? Ruth Mayer? From Krell Street School? Yes. Is this Mrs. Carvath? Are you and my husband having your own private PTA meeting, Miss Mayer? I won't even bother to answer that. You bitch! You're killing my family! 
Mm. And that's enough for her to decide, oh, I don't want no part of your crazy, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting that there, there, there is something there of like, well, if your wife is all messed up and not even present to take care of your child and be a wife to you, well, hey, I'm right here, right? Mm-hmm. Let's see if this can work. And man, this goes about as south quickly as it, as it possibly can. Because the dad goes take goes to take a nap upstairs, uh, and then there's another brood waiting for him that beats him to death with these two snow globes. That's quite brutal, actually. Yeah. And then Frank gets there kind of a little bit too late, sees this dead corpse. The brood throws one of the snow globes at him through the wall of my mind, you. And then, you know, slowly withers away and dies off in the bathroom, just kind of like just stops moving and breathing. And then we got this really strange autopsy oh, scene yeah. here. I got the I got the clip for that, Great. and it's purple. Like I don't know, like like there's there was a reasoning behind like why purple, like why not black and white. Uh, Our friend has very strange eyes. They have irises, but no retinas. I should think his vision of the world is very distorted, and I'm pretty certain he sees things only in black and white, no colors. The upper lip is cleft. Real hair lip, but the palate is not. And the tongue is too thick and inflexible for proper speech. It has no teeth, but you get a pretty nasty bite from these strange beak-like gums. Why did it die? Well, I found some sort of collapsed fleshy sac between the little fellow's shoulder blades. It contains traces of a solid nutrient material. A bit like the yolk sack of certain fish or a camel's hump. Basically, it's a gas tank that was full of birth. Once the hump material is completely assimilated, I think the creature simply starves to death. Runs out of gas, so to speak. And that brings us to the last point of interest. There's an external deformity. I mean, apart from the lack of sexual organs. It's extremely subtle and extremely provocative. I wonder if either of you have noticed it. It has no navel. No what? No belly button. The thing has no belly button. That's right. And that means this creature has never really been born. At least not the way human beings are born. Jesus. All right, there's a lot. There's a lot there to to discuss. Uh, where, where do you want to start first? <laughs> Let's start with the yolk sack. Okay. <laughs> How disgusting! Yeah, it just sounds gross, and we never see it. it. The way it's just described, though, right? I just think of this like gelatinous like growth on the shoulder blade of this thing, right? What's great about it is when the brood are sort of at the the apex moment in this film, the the crisis conflict mm-hmm. resolution moment, you can see the hump that's in their back underneath their clothes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, if this thing, okay, the eyes is creepy, and what he's saying with you know they don't they have a skewed perspective of the world and they can't speak and cleft lip and very deformed, almost bird like mm-hmm. creatures then the yoke piece is what they have as nutrients. How did that get there? Mm-hmm. And if it's not burst with an umbilical cord 
hence the belly button or or no recognition of any belly button. Who the fuck, what the fuck made that? Yeah, I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> and for me, I mean, it, you're already kind of starting to lean to like, this has got to be tied into the Soma Free Clinic. It has to be. Mm-hmm. But um, the reveal, this is, and probably I think everybody listening to the show has seen this film, but me probably, shame on me. Um, thanks, by the way. You're welcome. Oh, it's also on, we watched the Criterion disc, which is a phenomenal transfer, yeah. but it's on uh, uh, Max right now too, so you can check it out there. Nola. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, we birth what or what we birth kind of looks like us. Jesus Christ, Jesse. Yeah. This is so loaded. If you're going to go the psychoplasmics route and we're talking about eggs and yolk sacs that are energy and all of these things, what in the hell psychoplasmic rage process has brought about this manifestation of mongoloided debauchery? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of really twisted stuff in here. And What do you like best on the, the description of What the, do I like best? I don't like It's not- a pretty graphic explanation. I'll give them credit for that. It's gruesome. But like, what is it? What's what is the quintessential moment in this autopsy for you? I think it's, you know, although, you know, they do mean you no know, sex organs. So these things are just like, you know, have no, you know, you know, definable characteristics other than their physical form. Right. Uh, and kind of how they're created. Uh, the sack part is interesting. Uh, I do think there's maybe a missing scene in this film where there's a replenishing of sack fluids yeah. from mom. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, I, the beak-like gums, like, oh, I don't even know. What it reminds me of is if you've ever seen those, like, fake photos of, like, them with the Roswell alien on a slab. Mm-hmm. That's what this looks like. This thing's naked, and they're, like, touching it and doing this half-baked autopsy on it. Mm-hmm. And it just seems so otherworldly. It does seem alien-like. And the creme de la creme moment of this entire scene is, man, Canada has no chill. Front page spread. They put this thing on there. I couldn't believe it. Uh, Dwarf killings. uh, And this thing naked on a slab on the front page. Can you imagine? I just... The free Canadian press. No holds barred. I can't believe... It was close to my oh my God moment of I can't believe like... I just, I love the absurdity of that, of like, of course, why not? In this crazy world that we've established, yeah, let's let the people of Toronto know that there's these things running around town. Yeah. Well, I guess, you know, the heat is off of candy at this point, right? I mean, so now we've kind of assumed that these things are killing people around town. But, you know, Frank's trying to form some sort of a court case at this point. His entire, like, second family is being offed by all these things. Uh they shut the Soma Free Clinic down. So I think this is where the uh, Oliver Reed redemption piece begins of this kind of immense guilt of, wow, these things are killing. I can't stop them. Uh, send everyone home. And his little lackey there who kind of don't know a lot about him. <laughs> What's going on there, Matt? Yeah. Uh, uh, are you sure they're going to be okay out there? And our guy from the opening scene is like very troubled about not having daddy and a home uh, so he ends up at this rehab facility with a uh, vagina neck <laughs> and, you know, kind of gives him all this kind of breakdown on the relationship. What did you mean when you said Nola's the queen bee? Well, she's the queen bee, all right. She's the star. She's the one he's interested in. And the rest of us don't count anymore. 
She doesn't even have to pay for it. And that's because she's the one who was born to prove that psychoplasmics is the ultimate therapeutic device. That's a quote. Mm -hmm. You'll be my daddy. He won't do it anymore. And my real daddy won't do it. And that bastard, Dr. Raglan, won't do it anymore. You see, my real daddy rejected me. And my... My, my, my surrogate daddy rejected me. That's just fucking wonderful, don't you think? Oh, yeah, my cool it and tell him what happened at Summer Free. Look. I'll make a deal with you, okay? Just... Be my daddy. Oh my Please. God. I'll tell you anything you want to know. I'll bleed for you. Oh, me to bleed? No. That's silly, right? Repulses you. I, I can see that. You're not into it, so why do it, right? Besides, nobody can do it like Dr. Raglan. What in what? <laughs> what? To be my daddy. Cronenberg is leaning into that bit of dialogue mm -hmm. so hard mm -hmm. this poor bastard has no idea what he's asking frank for cronenberg knows exactly how entendre loaded this language is and there is not a bit a pause any lack of restraint no shameless in this my daddy won't do it anymore what oh are we yeah. it, it, it would be ridiculous to say that's what she said on this because you don't even need it it is that in your face yeah. i'm not to make comedic of this because it's not funny but man cronenberg is literally making you writhe in your seat in discomfort mm -hmm. over the request that this guy has to get him literally he's asking can you get me off daddy Blah. i know <laughs> this guy's very troubled and he's been taught that by oliver reed mm -hmm. dr hal mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of, I mean, that's what the movie's about, but that's not even really what the movie's about. Yeah, that's about some other twisted uh, psychosexual thing going on, right? You know what? I Okay, so I have a question for you. Okay. When the, the teacher is staying at Frank's house yeah. and he gives her the book on rage. Oh, yeah. The complete history of psychoplasmics. She seems to be pretty interested kind of in that it, book. Yeah, she's put a pretty big dent in it. Okay, so I'm right. Like, I saw, like, she yes. had devoured half that book. Yeah. Okay, so that leans more also into this cult that this psychoplasmic group has fallen prey to. Yeah, there's a pretty good pitch at, at play here. Oliver Reed is really creepily seductive. Mm -hmm. And it's, to his credit, it's just that cold, he's got the really low voice that he handles in a simple, slow, rhythmic manner. And I I don't know, because I'm not as familiar with it as I should be. Does he raise his voice at all this entire film? I think there was maybe one or two instances with him and Nolo where she's like hitting him on the back and why did you say no or this and that. But very, very rarely. It's very kind of even, even Neil, right? It's just a weird seductive element to that or if not seductive omniscient superior superior omniscient he's, he's certainly on some sort of pedestal because when we're well, a little bit later when we go to where nola was staying with candy for a period of time 
His pitcher is clearly on mm-hmm. the wall, right next to Sigmund Freud and you know Carl Jung, right? <laughs> so and L. Ron Hubbard, <laughs> he's there. He's got to be there too. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. What other weirdo can we put on this wall, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's yeah, obviously important, and you know people are speaking some sort of weird gospel of whatever he's preaching. Yeah. We're about to get to a really insane scene in this film. So uh, Ruth, uh, the the teacher. Uh, has kind of written off uh, Frank. I was like, I don't want dating your, the crazy I family. I don't want your weird. But then another kind of parent rolls up on him too. I was like, dude, Frank's got the pick of the litter at this point. Yeah. He's, he's batching it. Uh, Jeff Goldblum. A little bit, yeah. And we get this scene. I'm going to play the audio. The audio's uh, slightly troubling. Uh, and then we'll talk about it here in just a second. The audio's troubling. <laughs> Yeah, the aftermath is entirely vicious, right? It's yeah. it's really it's caked blood that looks looks like blood, right? It doesn't look like hammer whore blood. Looks like a vicious attack. The attack starts out fairly ridiculous, and then when we see the aftermath, we're like, oh my god! And then you know, you mentioned Friedkin. We're like, did he, you know, you know, shield Linda Blair from a lot of the harshities of playing Pazuzu slash Reagan? during the production of that film. And here you got Mr. Cronenberg goes like, these little kitties are going to see this teacher die. I can't believe. Yeah. They're just sitting there. Watch, look at this dead corpse on the thing. Like, I just, I, I, that's either negligent or genius. I have no idea. Right. right? Yeah. What'd you think of that? I mean, it's the true definition of the, Oh my God moment. Right. For sure. Uh, what, What was just going through your head? Okay. So to the benefit of how the film's working, I wanted Frank to hurry up and get in there and rescue her. Yeah. So I had a vested interest in Miss Mayer. The aftermath is the aftermath, and he's just too late, kind of like he is most of the film mm-hmm. in this. Yeah. Really poorly equipped. I don't know who's a worse father figure, him in this or Mr. Um, the Birds guy. Uh, oh, Rod Taylor. Yeah, Rod Taylor. Yeah. Um, it looks great. And what the kids beat her with are just these little grade school mallets like you might build a set of blocks with so to inflict that much damage on her with those mallets how mm. long did they pummel her yeah there's two of them so i guess cuts the time in half yeah <laughs> regardless the, fer- the ferocity it looks great and then to lay there it was very that was really birds like to me that moment yeah because the way she's laying twisted on the ground with her right knee tucked or is it her left knee tucked underneath her is suzanne Plachette on the steps of the house mm-hmm. in the birds mm-hmm. 
And then the final curtain that drops, mic drop moment, is when he takes the piece of paper that says, we plant sunflowers, some little (laughs) child's drawing, and uses it to cover her face. And the paper isn't thick enough to cover her completely. (laughs) It's like parchment paper. Kind of is. Yeah. Frank sucks, man. Yeah. Candy's in real trouble if Frank's her only out. Yeah. Brutal moment. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just, you're because this this film's a bit of a slow burn. I mean, there's not a lot of like. The boo, second act is a little dry. Yeah. Boo, boo shock kind of moment. So you're kind of waiting for like when something like going to happen. And boy, we're about to get a few like crazy moments here. This is one of them. Uh, yeah. First time I saw this, I was like, I can't believe it. And the, the shots of the kid just going like, they're, they're, they're frozen in terror. Couldn't believe it. Like no one, I don't think you would, you could get away with that today. Lost in this bu- this brutal beatdown of Miss Mayer is the abduction of Candy, though. Mm-hmm. And they just sort of slip her, I think, I thought what was into a closet. Mm-hmm. And I thought for a minute they were going to shield her from the violence, come to find out they weren't shielding at all. They were ushering out the back door so they could take her to, you know, Never Never Land. Frank's response is, is really troubling. Obviously, he's going to be shocked at what he sees on the floor and the, the pool of blood around her head and just the the vast amounts of violence that have been or have befallen Miss Mayer. Mm -hmm. But then the secondary thing is, where's my kid? And that, I don't know if it's, we do see it a little bit later. I don't know if it's lack of attention by Cronenberg or if it's done on purpose. He almost forgets to go get candy immediately. He does remember eventually. Mm -hmm. If I see somebody dead laying on the floor, my first response is, where's my daughter? Mm -hmm not cover the pace up and make sure the kids aren't witnessing this horror. I'm getting my kid and we're getting the hell out of Dodge. Yeah. Yeah. Not not Frank. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's just wild. So after this is when he, they go to that old apartment and they kind of see, oh, she's not here. He thought maybe she would have went there, but the brood have let her off to Soma free again, uh, to this, like what you think is on the premises for the whole film. And it's really this like separate adjacent, like shed warehouse, uh, thing. Yeah. Uh, where all the birthing is taking place. So uh, Mr. Daddy, Daddy, will you be my daddy? Shows up at Frank's doorstep and it was like, well, you know, the kids, it's, it's also, the, what what kids is like the, the kids that they're making over there in the, in the shed off site. And he's like, oh, Jesus Christ. So he rushes over there and kind of runs right into Oliver Reed. And we learn a little bit more of their uh, nebulous intentions. She's not that surrogate mother, Frank. She's a real mother. Ragman, I'm not gonna listen. They're her children, Frank. More exactly, they're the children of her rage. They're motivated only by her anger, whether that anger is conscious or subconscious. I mean, when when Nola got cross with Candy last weekend, annoyed really, the brute beat her. But when she released her rage against her parents under therapy. I didn't want to believe that. But now they've killed Ruth Mayer. And they could kill you or me, and she wouldn't even be aware of it. I mean, she doesn't even know that Candy's here. I want Candace back. Then do it my way. Please. It's the right way. So these two come up with a pretty uh, pretty half-baked plan right i mean it's the best they got which is you go talk to your wife reason with her to say you want to be with her she's the love of your life keep her calm 
because if these things get out of control, they're going to rage out and they're going to kill me and they're going to kill your daughter. And I'll go up there and I'll just kind of sneak her out. And so, you know, Frank's talking to his wife and it starts out fairly amicable of like, ah, strange, yeah, this is like, I want to be with you. And she's like, I'm on a strange adventure. And like, I'll go with you. I want to go with you. And just as Raglan has, has candy in his arms, then the, the reveal of reveals, right, is Nola unearths this sheath that really reminded me of Silence of the Lambs when mm-hmm. that guy's like butterflied out on the bars. Yeah. And uh, do you want to describe uh, what's going on here? <laughs> So there are the lesions or the skin imperfections I think that mom did not like in daughter and then an external womb that looks like a colostomy bag filled with some alien, and I mean that from the movie, looking birthing sac. I think they... Purple my veiny. My takeaway is that, you know, if these lesions pop up literally all over the body, I think that's just a different sac. So I think they're happening all over the place, right? Yeah. Well, it's pretty horrid. It's it's quite the image, and you know, of course, and they're, you know, we're 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 playing spectator. They're like, dude, Frank, keep her calm, man. Like, don't lose your composure here. But how how would you not? I mean, like, you see something as abhorrent and as ghastly as that, and you're just like, yikes. And then and then <laughs> yikes is right. And then okay, so she's got a fresh one. She got a fresh one ready to pop oh, here, God, and yeah. so she she <laughs> opens the sack with her teeth. Ugh. And this, you know, bloody, you know, embryo baby pops out. And so she's cradling this thing. And then uh, this is the moment, right? Licks it she clean. licks this thing clean, this bloody thing clean. Oh, man. Animal-like. Yeah. Really animal Yeah, like cat-like, like dog-like. Yeah, let me clean a uh, lion, lioness, right? Oh, my God. Yeah, what, what, what was running through your head or just like, oh, man. <laughs> like, okay, can I tell you what was running through my head? Yeah, go ahead. Does she need a donor, a male donor, to make sure that something ends up in those sacks? And if so, did Hal use the rest of his clients as studs? (laughs) Or was he the stud? Or if not, is that happening without any influence from a male donor. I think that's my interpretation. The other one's also interesting, right? As we go down either one of those two roads, yeah, this chick's in real trouble. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like there's any end in either regard. If if Dr. Hal is the the dad, then He's been seducing her the whole film, and all of those fears materialize in this moment. If not, what's his hang-up? Because he seems to be a little too interested interested in her, unless, and this is another redeeming moment for him, all this is going through my head at the same time, man, this whole time, he was trying to walk her back from the edge so that her brood wouldn't attack whoever she was angry at. And all of those moments that seemed like seduction were just really trying to get to peace. So mom doesn't lose her mind. Yikes. <laughs> Hell hath no fury when mom is in a bad state, Jesse. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's... Norma Bates, you can't start, Nola. <laughs> yeah, that's... <laughs> yeah, that's all very troubling. It's all, uh, yeah, this exterior egg sack and... What, what I want what? What I, I can't believe what, yes yeah, ex- exterior egg sac yeah, that's, that's what it is 
Uh, I want to know how it started. Like, what was the catalyst? And this isn't done in the movie, so this is kind of just outside interpretation of, like, what was the catalyst that started these lesions that were repressed for so long? Like, was it, like, a fight between her and Frank? Like, was it... Did she notice these lesions on her daughter and that spun her out to go see the Soma Free Clinic, uh, which started these Mm -hmm. birthing processes? Because that could possibly be it, right? Yeah. The rejection of your offspring, you know, because it's, you know, repeating the pattern, right? Yeah. The dad even has, uh, the grandfather has a line like, oh, it breaks my heart that you're going through all the same stuff that we did, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, this is twisted. Yeah, this we're in some pretty uncanny valley, horrific territory right now. Yeah. So the brood start attacking Oliver Reed. Candy's able to get away for a little bit. They they devour this guy. Like they they tear him up. He's in bad. He just killed right. Mm-hmm. They're about to get her and break her. Uh, kill her next because she has some like twisted line of like, well then you know what? If we can't be together, I'll just kill my kid. I'll just kill her. And so I'll kill Candy before I'll let you take her. Yeah. So that verbiage alerts the brood of, well, kill Candy, right? Go kill Candy. Yikes. And so Frank, you know, it's the only possible solution. It's like, well, I gotta I gotta put this bitch down, right? Yeah. And he chokes out his wife here, and that at least stops the brood. And you're like, oh my gosh, like what what is going on here? And you know, we do have a little bit of a reprieve here of the the aftermath. I always had this like memory that this thing also was on fire at the same time of all that. It seems about what would happen, right? Let's mm-hmm. burn this shed to the ground. Gets his daughter. She looks, you know, she's she's traumatized again, but she's or like shell-shocked in her own weird little way, kind of like at the beginning with grandmother's death, right? And, you know, they leave the clinic, they drive away, and she just seems really kind of unaffected as they leave the clinic, and then we see those lesions growing on her arm, and just kind of realize that the cycle is hereditary mm-hmm. and is destined to repeat itself. Yep. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, the shock ending was something that was forecasted in this film. I wouldn't say this is shock ending. I'd say this is an appropriate ending for a horror film that's this unsettling. Mm-hmm. There's no way the two of them just drive off into the night and... Candy begins her process of healing because at least her and dad are back together. I, that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But if she's gone through this and there's these two welts that have formed on her right arm, what the movie's telling you is the stress-free life that will prevent the further proliferation of more broods is never going to happen. Despite the best psychotropics, psychoplasmics, soma, alcohol. There is no escape from the stress of just domestic life and the things you'll see brought upon you by your parents. And that's all of the characters in this. Really ugly statement by David Cronenberg that's profound and smart at the same time. Yeah. Uh, I got a couple things here for you. Just a little, some anecdotes here. So this was written after a divorce from his wife. Oh, well, I'm sure it is. <laughs> uh, yeah, that is uh, very telling there. He described it as his version of Kramer versus Kramer, which, you know, this is David Cronenberg's wow. version of Kramer. That makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, $1.5 million budget. Uh, 200000 of that came from the Canadian government. <laughs> Oh, I just, I love it. I love it to pieces. $5 million gross, decent little cult hit, right? Yeah. 
Uh, Samantha Egger said this was the most strange and repulsive film she had ever done in her career. Mm. And so there was a bit of a censorship, I think, either in Canada or maybe it was over in England uh, with the licking scene that it was so ghastly that we got to censor that scene. But then Cronenberg was like, well, you inadvertently made it more grotesque because... If you're not showing the licking, the audience is going to interpret that as she ate the fetus. Ate it, right, because her mouth is bloody. Yeah, so he's like, you guys made it worse, actually. Thank you, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Uh, I want to read some of the negative reviews uh, for this film because I think they're they're, they're quite comical. For some pretty big people, Leonard Maltin first, Mm. reviewed the film in two sentences. Edgar eats her own afterbirth while midget clones beat grandparents and lovely young school teachers to death with mallets. It's a big, wide, wonderful world we live in and rated it an outright bomb. (laughs) Wow. Ouch. Roger Ebert called it a bore and disgusting in ways that are not entertaining, as opposed, for example, to the disgusting moments in Alien or Dawn of the Dead. And even went as far as asking, are there really people who want to see reprehensible trash like this? Concluding with, I guess so. It's in its second week. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, the Vancouver <laughs> Sun, Vaughn Palmer, lambasted the film as mean, foul, and witless. The people in the brew do not like people. They do not appear to like themselves. They just like money. <laughs> no, brother. <laughs> Uh, the Los Angeles Times praised the film as well-made and expertly acted, but criticized the violence, saying, perhaps Cronenberg means to make an extreme comment on the irresponsibility of psychiatrists and parents, mm-hmm. but the brood is so totally sickening, it's an irresponsible work itself. Mm. Oh, man, I love it. Thank you, too. Uh, there's some interesting commentary that's been said on the film. Um, <clears throat> we talked about this a little bit with Alien. Uh, there was a really good you know, film... Uh, theorist out there her name was barbara creed and she did a whole big horror piece on the monstrous feminine uh and especially with like alien with the oh i knew i was gonna forget it uh not the abnormal uh bear with me one moment here people Uh, i want to get this right uh, it was uh, the archaic mother in Alien is kind of that representation of just the bastardization of the birthing process, right? And in this film, she pointed to, you know, the monstrous womb. This is so uncanny to how babies are typically born. It's the actual reverse of that. So she has always brought up some really interesting commentary on, like, how that's portrayed in horror films to varying degrees of success, right? Mm. So... As always, you know, a very interesting read there. Um, but yeah, that's that's The Brood from 79. Uh, Matt, what's your favorite tasty note, scene, sequence, moment of The Brood? I mean, how can it not be when she pulls back her gown and there's that reveal of what she's been nesting on herself, essentially? That's That's got to be it for me. My favorite moment? Uh... I do love the architecture in this film. I love the clothing, but like my favorite moment, I man, I love that front page spread of Mister of the Brood Child, <laughs> just like front center. Oh, good God! Uh, and what is the? Oh my God! Moment of Re- the Brood. Yeah, releasing your newborn from your own egg sac by biting it and letting the blood spill on the floor. Yeah, and then the licking aftermath. Right. That whole bit is. Whew. Rough. Yeah, we're going there. We're going to show it. We're going to go there. We're going to do it. 
This is a Cronenberg film, baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Poor Miss Ruth's uh, Untimely Demise by Mallet in the school. I just, I can't believe that scene plays out the way it does. Usually they would cut around that and not show reaction shots. Mm. Uh, and I'm fully convinced it's a scene you just, you would never see that today. No. I don't know. Maybe his son would put that in, in his film, but yeah. I feel like the censor would have even more issues with that today than they did back then. Uh, and I just can't believe, you know, to his credit that he just stuck to his guns and he's like, if we're going to show the violence and really get people uncomfortable, this is the way to do it. So, mm. yikes, that's my oh my God. That's a good one. Who's the master distiller on The Brood? Oliver Reed, for me, I think he's fantastic in this film. It's a good little performance, I, yeah. I, I, Oliver Reed, I've talked about him a couple of times, so I don't want to rehash it. I, yeah, I think he's great. He sells the film for me. That was such a good switch. Yeah. I find myself having to start pulling for that guy. Yeah. I'm going to go Cronenberg on this one. Yeah, I think it's not. another piece of evidence in his um, argument of, I think he's really in full control of, you know, the stories he's telling and how smart that they are surface wise, but then how deep you can dive into them. Just like we did for the last hour. Right. Uh, I think this is the one that like really set him on pace to like, okay, I've got it all figured out now. Just now wait to see what I do, what I do next. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of the film that he did right after this one. That would be Scanners. Uh, I think Scanners has its moments, but I think it's also a fairly clunky film. Mm -hmm. But then you have the dead zone and then the film we're going to do next week. And yeah, I think he's like in full, uh, maestro territory on this body horror genre that I think he's he's the king of, right? Yeah. How are you going to rate and grade The Brood uh, to review our rating cycle all around whiskey and liquor? We have Rock Gut, Well, Call, Single Barrel, and Tippy Top Shelf. So the varying degrees of types of bourbon and whiskey you could potentially have, scotch, you know, so be it. Uh, but where's this film going to fall in for you? Solid, solid, solid call. Uh, the... First scene, the first act is great. Mm -hmm. The second act is a little draggy for me, a little bit. And that's that's most films. Yeah. The third act is fantastic. If there was maybe one more brood butchering in that <laughs> second act. Dude, hashtag brood, brood butchering. <laughs> it might carry it a little bit more, but I have no problems with the film. I would watch it again. I'm yeah. sure I'd uncover um, a lot more. It was a really, really interesting watch. Uh, think piece if you want it to be, or it can just be, I don't want to say schlock horror, but, but yeah, cult horror, horror yeah. cult horror fair. Yeah. yeah. That's a good space for me. Yeah. This is a really solid, I might even border on call plus. Yeah. A cool 96 minutes runtime, right? Love that. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Where are you at? Uh, I think I'm going to go single barrel minus yeah. on this one. It's just, it, there's not a lot of like, Oh, there, there's a ton of like creepy kid movies but there's not like ones quite like this where you have like this cadre of this like army almost. And then just everything happening on the exterior is so loaded for interpretation, abuse, repression, uh, sex, the sexual connotations, the birthing processes, uh, you know, child rejection. Mm. There's a lot to really get in, in the weeds here. This is one of the reasons why I wanted to pick because I knew we would have content to talk about with this film. Absolutely. Good choice. Um, but, yeah, I think it's a, a unique film for, for Cronenberg. I really think it set him on his path of what he would do in the 80s and into the 90s. And I think the, the, probably one of the last ones that I think 
was like really well uh, put together was probably Crash, right? Mm-hmm. James Spader mm-hmm. is probably like the last like really uncanny foray into body horror territory. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe we'll do that movie one of these days. Yeah. Uh, it's a wild ride, people, literally and figuratively. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, I think this is a really unique film. I think it's well worth your time. So if you're looking for something this spooky season that maybe isn't on your radar, I mean, I think you said, yeah, maybe most of the people listening have seen this film, but maybe not. I mean... You have a lot of ways to Criterion uh, Channel and uh, Max, HBO Max, whatever they call it now. Mm-hmm. Max. Yeah, that's stupid. Uh, yeah, check it out. I think it's, I, you'll have a good time watching it, yeah. Yeah, you will. Yeah, but park your family in front of the TV and watch The Brood. I also, I love that he's okay with an hour and a half to an hour and 45 minutes. That's perfect. It's plenty it's, of time to tell this story. It's Yeah, it's not like a two hour and 15 minute, like overstaying its welcome. Like horror is like best in that 90 minute space. I agree. Hour and 28 minutes to an hour and 40 is just primo for these types of films. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really like the first Scream, uh, the, the first one. But man, that I think that runtime on that's an hour and fifty two minutes. I think it's just a tad too long for that type of film, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. If that was like an hour forty, it'd be like even even better in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the brood seventy nine. Check it out. Uh, let us know what you think. Maybe I don't know. Maybe it, it disgusts the hell out of you. In that case, you know, I, I I'll take that. I'll wear that as a badge of honor. Yeah. <laughs> well, the Cronenberg is not your cup of tea. Yeah, exactly. And I'm finding, you know, as I get older and as I dive into his stuff a little bit more. Uh, uh, he's really rising on my little Mount Rushmore of filmmakers. Mm-hmm. I mean, I got Carpenter, Nolan, I got Hitch up there. You know, I love me some De Palma up there, but man, you know, Cronenberg's given De Palma a little bit of a run for his money, right? Very, so, yes, yes. Uh, we'll see how the argument continues uh, in the coming weeks, but let's get to our nightcap. first uh, collaboration with Howard Shore and I'm pretty sure he scores the rest of his uh, entire filmography. It's great. Yeah. Nightcap. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have you rate these. We're sticking around in the space as you mentioned earlier of domestic horror. That might not be the right term but it fits for this. Yeah. Three different story ideas or themed approaches. You're going to rate them in sequence of your favorite to least favorite or most playable versus least playable. Mm-hmm. Okay, so one would be this, so bastardize at birth, right? The brood is an example of that. The second would be the wife sacrificing hubby or boyfriend as she's the vessel of evil. So paranormal activity um, kind of fit into that mold. Mm -hmm. And then the third would be a religious manipulation of the people for evil intent. Obviously, Rosemary's baby. Yeah. the Exorcist is sort of in, or not sort of, it's completely in that space. Mm-hmm. So those are your three options. We've yeah. got screwed up childbirth, <laughs> wife killing man, yeah, and then religious uh, manipulation he, he, for evil. He, I guess that's hereditary d- too. Demonic matchmaker. Yeah, demonic matchmaker. <laughs> Love that term. Uh, do you want to just me do all three at once and then you can do yours? Yep. Okay. Uh, probably third, coming in third will probably be uh, spouse seducing sacrificing of evil so your paranormal activity i just think that one's a little bit more rare i think it's yeah, been executed harder. uh less than some of the other ones you know 
paranormal activity is a freaking home run, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this thing that I'm I'm harbaging is gonna I'm you know I'm gonna sacrifice off you know someone that I'm close with, whether spousal or you know something within the, in that vein. Uh, but yeah, that, that one's probably gonna be my my number three. Number two would probably be this one, the monstrous womb, uh, the bastardization of uh, motherhood, uh, of birthing. Uh, I, I think it works really well, you know, listen to the brood, go watch alien. There's just something about, you know, when birth is a little unnatural or just that process of bringing life into this earth, that's just very uncanny. And I think horror, whether it's, it's alive, uh, just like bringing these like weird hell spawn in, into the world, then, you know, you kind of thought you were bringing something normal in and, you know, that's fairly troubling, uh, you know, material. And I think they get some really good horror films out of that concept. Mm-hmm. And then number one for me might be number one for you too, but you know, having that religious Catholic upbringing, you know, there's always this veil of like, you know, whether you you're fully in on religion or not, but there's like this thought growing up of just like, man, Satan's real, the devil's real. And man, I better not piss him off. And when you see these films where Satan is a like a divine, anti-divine influence on bringing youth into this world. So the omen, Rosemary's baby, the exorcist for that matter, uh, puppet mastering the will, the unintentional will of its participants, Mm -hmm. I think is entirely troubling. And, you know, as I get a little bit more, you know, pull the camera back a little bit on that type of notion, um, I'm able to, you know, look at it with more realistic eyes, but it's still troubling for me yeah. uh, in the way it's portrayed. Uh, so that's going to be my order. What do you got? Mine's close. Yeah. Uh, my number one is your number one also mm-hmm. for the same reason. It's where I come from and you can't fight those demonic forces despite all of your best efforts at keeping to good faith until you absolutely have to go that route. And you know what I like about it? In those three examples, the Omen, Rosemary's Baby, and The Exorcist is we never, other than like a, a frame of Pazuzu, we never really see that mm-hmm. external entity in the film, right? Yeah. Yep. They're just hanging over the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Love that. Uh, so that's one for me. I'm going backwards. So two for me is the wife as sacrifice. I guess the other one that starts to wife as the sacrificial element um, sacrificing agent, I guess. That's a little bit of the conjuring as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- that has ties, I think, to noir and the femme fatale. For oh, me. there you go. Yeah. So that does almost, though, lean into a little bit more thriller space as often as it gets into a horror space. Mm-hmm. And if you ask me this tomorrow, these two and three might be flipped, but then the final one would be the, the bastardized womb or the demonic womb. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... I had a curveball for this, and I wanted to throw him. Glad we got through that because here's the curveball. Okay, you've stated those three. I'm going to give you another choice, and okay. I want you to tell me if it will usurp number one. Okay, dad or male as bringer of life into the world. Yeah, I don't know if it's taking number one. I do like that. I do like you know how that can be literally bastardized, right? Yeah, uh, through whore. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to go with uh, Demonic Matchmaker. Still number one? Okay. Yeah, I think so. That, that, that's just, I, those three films that we met, you know, maybe Rosemary's Baby lesser than the other two. Uh, you know, Paranormal Activity kind of fits into that vein as well mm-hmm. of Katie. I mean, that started somewhere. Right. I mean, 
it wasn't witches, people. As far as the film will tell us, it mm-hmm. was some other demonic force that orchestrated that bad life on her. Yeah. Uh, it's still my number one. It's just, it's a very effective genre for me. And I think it's just, it's fairly underplayed right now, but I don't know, maybe Gordon Green's Exorcist is about to bring it back, right? Yeah, when I was crafting this last night, I had no idea that was going to come up in our conversation today. That snuck into my mind, so I wanted to throw it. I think that might be, if that was one of the choices, my number one. Really? Yeah, Dad, as the creator of life, is innately effed up Mm -hmm. and they get it wrong all the time. And I'm not just talking about Frankenstein, but that's the basis of it. Yeah. And if you want to go down that road, Dracula down that road, Dracula plays in that space as well. Mm -hmm. I think classically a lot of those early horror tropes were based on that. Um, I don't know. Close one. If not one, it's one A or two A plus. Well, even think about like, you know, the origins of Mr. Freddy Krueger, the bastard son of a thousand maniacs or a hundred maniacs, right? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of an effed up version on procreation. Yeah. Uh, I love it. I love I love the question. I love all those films. I don't know. Maybe maybe we'll talk about some of them. And we have talked about some of them. Mm -hmm. So we'll keep this Cronenberg train uh, turning along next week uh, from 1983. Or 84 or 85. It's one of those three years. Uh, But we're going to do another film. I think another first for you as well. We're going to do David Cronenberg's Videodrome. Mm -hmm. I can't wait for this. Because if you thought thought this week was wild, buckle up, ladies and gentlemen. Because we're going to get into the psychosexual of it all with James Woods and Debbie Debbie Harry and Cronenberg in Canada still doing some crazy stuff. Man, I'm talking about mouth or uh, stomach vaginas. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Just, I'm talking about uh, hand handguns. Uh, we're we're going to get into some weird, strange territory and the voyeurism and broadcast TV of it all, uh, the media. Like, yeah. this is going to be a blast. We're not going to have anything to talk about in this movie. Nothing. <laughs> yeah. But uh, excellent. I can't wait to, to get this. And then the, the film the, the film for week three, uh, like I said, I've been dying all year to, to do that one. We'll unveil that one next week. Yeah. But until then, hey, we got to get going. Matt, I got some weird lesions on my arm right now. Do you think we should go get these checked out? Yeah, but um, I set us up for a workshop before we go get those checked out. It's psychotropics, psycho... What is it called? Psychotropics. We'll see you all next week, everybody. Oh, I had something for this. Oh, yeah. Hashtag brood butchering. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Hey, have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review while you're there. It really helps out the show. And for Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. The Brood is property of New World Pictures, Les Productions, Mutales Lete, Algin International Productions, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. Are you ready for me, Frank? Are you really? I seem to be a very special person. I'm in the middle of a strange adventure. Let me be with you. I want to go with you wherever you go. Do you? 
you? Yes. And look 